Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. In my life, ever since I was 12 years old, I have struggled with worry. There have been different points in my life when the worry has been greater and other points when it has been less, but it has been part of my life at least since I was 12 years old. And I have read passages about it, I have memorized scriptures about it, I have thought about it, tried to figure it out, and it has felt like it has always come down to, Evan, you just need to stop worrying. You just need to try harder not to worry. And so I have spent years trying and trying and trying and failing to make myself stop worrying. And so I try harder. I don't know what it is that you struggle with, But I imagine that that mentality is not something that is unique to me. The try harder mentality is not something that I have struggled with and nobody else has. I imagine that many of you feel that same way about whatever it is that you struggle with, that if you simply try harder, and maybe somebody is telling you, or you're telling yourself you need to try harder, then you'll finally have victory over whatever it is that you are fighting. For some of you, you are simply trying to be a good person. And you have done everything you can think of. You know the rules. You have memorized the rules. You have become obsessed with the rules. You are obnoxious when it comes to the rules. Everyone around you finds you obnoxious about the rules because you have determined that you have to follow all the rules all the time. And people are like, stop! You're so annoying! And you become obnoxious to everyone around you, and you become very anxious internally. Thinking over the rules. Thinking over all the ways that you have failed, or could have possibly, maybe could be interpreted as a failure, and that you aren't good enough. And you aren't succeeding. And whether that's you aren't good enough for God, or you're not good enough for your family, you're not good enough at work, or you're not good enough to be valuable, whatever it is, you feel like you are not succeeding. And you just keep telling yourself, you just need to try harder. And you still fail. Some of you, it's that temptation in your life. 
the temptation to sin, and, and, and there may be many sins in your life, but there's probably one or two or three that are those consistent sins that you continue to be tempted into and you continue to fall for. And you fight it and you fight it and you say, I just need to try harder. And you fight it and then you avoid it. You, you make sure that you avoid the temptation so that you avoid the sin. And you avoid and you avoid and you're doing great and you're doing great. And then the temptation finds a way in and it hits you and you give in. And you feel like a failure all over again. That one slip up feels like it's ruined you. Feels like it's ruined all the progress you've made. You feel like maybe I just need to punish myself. I just need to try harder. For some of you, it's, it's much more about the relationships that you're in. You try to build good relationships. And you try, and you try, and you try, and things still don't work out. And you try so hard that sometimes you, you have invested so much into it, and you have poured and sacrificed so much into it, that you find yourself at moments having conversations with the people you're in relationships with, explaining to them why you're doing it right, why it is that you have done everything you can, and for some reason that isn't received well. How you have done everything right, and it's really on their end that things have gone wrong. And it ends up being something like you just don't know what to do. And so you try harder. And after trying harder and trying harder and trying harder, you either push yourself to this extreme where it starts to ruin you internally or you give up and you walk away from it and say, if I'm going to be ruined one way or another, there's no point in trying anymore. We have been spending the past number of weeks observing, reflecting on the Jewish feasts. And today we're going to talk about one final Jewish feast, and that is the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot also known as the Feast of Pentecost. Now, in, in some of my research, I determined that this would be a feast that celebrated the end of the barley harvest and started the, the harvest of wheat, and that in doing... In, in celebrating this, they would celebrate... The Jews would celebrate with crepes, and they would celebrate with dairy... And they would have this joyous feast. And what it really boils down to is where this festival comes from is, yes, it has to do with the harvest times uh, around the seasons of, of harvest. But it also comes back to that moment in Israel's history when they were at the mount 
And God gave them the law. Before this moment, they had been following the teachings of Abraham. They had been following the the teachings that had been passed down. But they had not received clear direction, clear step-by-step directions and guidelines on how to live their lives and what was right and what was wrong. And at this moment, they finally received from God the guidelines of how they were supposed to live. The determined will of God. What is right and what is wrong. And God actually spoke to Moses and had Moses carve out stone tablets and he wrote the law on these stone tablets and gave it to them and said, here is the law of God written in stone. Follow these rules. Follow these commandments. Do these Things to be righteous. And they celebrated that event in this festival. It was a festival of harvest. And it was a festival to remember that God gave them the law. The rules. His will. But the interesting thing is that They celebrated that, and they had that festival. But in the New Testament, we have a different festival associated with that same day, that same Pentecost day. And for those who follow Christ, they understand that the festival of Pentecost was actually the day when God sent His Holy Spirit on the church. Christ had died and He had risen from the dead and He communed with His followers and He taught them and and then He ascended into heaven and said, wait for the Holy Spirit. I am leaving you. I am ascending to heaven so that the the Helper will come. I have to go. If I don't go, He's not going to come. And so I'm going so I can send you the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, He sent the Holy Spirit on His church in power. And when they received the Holy Spirit, it fell on everybody that was in that room. And they spoke in tongues, other languages that they hadn't studied. People understood those languages. And God gave them special gifts and powers and abilities, and He changed them from the inside out. And you know what? There are a number of very interesting parallels between these two events in history, between God giving them the law and God giving them the Holy Spirit. The Feast of Pentecost is called Pentecost because pent has to do with 50. And so what happened was 50 days after Passover, which is seven weeks, So seven groups of seven days, 49, and then the next day they would have this festival. So 50 days, 50 days after Passover, they would have Pentecost. Well, 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ, they had Pentecost. The original giving of the law was from Mount Sinai and the giving of the Holy Spirit was on Jerusalem, Mount Zion. 
We see in Exodus that God descended on the mountain in fire. And in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came on His people, that it looked like tongues of fire were resting on each individual person. We see that God gives the Israelites the law, and then He gives the Israelites the Holy Spirit. We see that when God gave the Israelites the law, they ended up rebelling and committing the sin of idolatry. And because of that, 3,000 people were killed because of that sin. And we see that in the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, when God gives the Holy Spirit, that there were 3,000 who repented and were saved. 3,000 and 3,000? In the Feast of Pentecost, two loaves of leavened bread were offered. And then in the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, the Israelites and the Gentiles were saved. The Old Testament feast celebrated the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. And in the New Testament, it was the end of the Old Testament way and the beginning of the New Testament way. It was the beginning of the new harvest. But there's a couple other parallels, a couple other pieces I want to highlight here. In the Old Testament, as God is giving the law to the people, and He's told the people, don't approach the mountain. Only, only Moses can approach the mountain. And Moses is, goes and he gets the law and, he, and he's talking to the people. And it says that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. which is what they were supposed to do. And then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. You know what stands out to me about that passage? I'm not aware of anywhere where it says that God says, I don't want to speak to the people. I don't see anywhere where it says, I'm not going to speak to the people. He said, don't approach the mountain. Don't come trying to catch a look of God. He says that. But I don't see where it says you're not allowed to hear God speak. The people had the opportunity. The people were there in the presence of God. And they're the ones that said, don't let God speak to us. We want to hear from that guy. We want to hear from Moses. But if, if God speaks to us, that's going to ruin everything. Then we're going to die from that. We don't want to hear God directly. We want somebody else to do the work to hear God. Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. 
And then in the book of Acts, it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. In verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We see this shift from God being separate and from us, the people saying, no, we don't want to have that. We don't want to have that direct word from God. We want you to do the work. We don't want the direct word of God to this thing where God puts His Spirit on individual people and now they are speaking for Him. It wasn't just one guy speaking for God anymore. He was giving His Spirit directly. He was speaking directly to every individual in that place and giving them the Word of God. And they were able to speak on God's behalf through His power, through His Holy Spirit. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is a verse that we read earlier. Chapter 36, verse 26, it says... I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He wrote the law on stone tablets and now he's writing the law on our individual hearts. He's getting rid of the stone and He's giving you a true living heart of flesh. What does all this mean? It means all kinds of things. It means all kinds of things. But one of the things you've got to take from this today is it means that you do not have to try harder. You need the presence of God. The contrast between the law, follow the rules, do these things, live a heart of stone, and the New Testament completion of the festival saying, I am going to write that law on your hearts. And it's not about you following the rules. It's not about you being more perfect. It's not about you trying harder. It is about receiving the Holy Spirit and being changed. How many of you have kids? How many of you have ever bought what you thought was going to be a fantastic toy for a kid? Even if you don't have kids. You, you went to the store and you're like, this has got to be the coolest toy I have ever seen. And you bought it for the kid. And then the kid got it. You're tracking with me? The kid got it, opened it up, pushed the buttons, and nothing happened. And you realized in that moment, there was that stupid little 
tag in the corner that says, batteries not included. And all of a sudden, you realize you have just given this child a fantastic hammer or a wonderfully colored cardboard box. And that's about it. Because you didn't bring the batteries. And some of the kids will take it and they'll try to manipulate the thing. And you know that wonderful noise that toys make when they're not turned on, they don't have power, and there are all kinds of gears, and you start moving it, and it goes, and then it goes crack. You guys, are you familiar with that? You try to make it work without the batteries. And all it does is break it. You need the batteries. You need the power so it can work properly. And without the power, you can try to make it work, but it's not going to actually do what it's supposed to. You're going to do damage to it, and it's going to break it. And it's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of getting the batteries for it. The Israelites were given the law. They were given the toy without the batteries. And in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came, God was giving us the batteries. He was giving us the power. And He was saying, you guys, it is not about trying harder. It is about having My Spirit on you personally. It is not about hearing the words from one great-looking pastor. It is about the Holy Spirit being personally on you. And on the day of Pentecost, we remember that God has given us His Holy Spirit. Yeah, the rules can be good. They can be guidelines. But it's not about trying harder to follow them. It is about having the Holy Spirit inside of us to change our hearts, to change our motives, to change how we think, how we process information, and what comes out what naturally wells up and comes out in our thoughts and our words and our actions. It is not about withstanding the temptation by, by punishing ourselves and disciplining ourselves and working harder. It is about God coming in and removing the desire, giving us the resilience and the endurance to making us look at those things that used to be such great temptations to be something that has no appeal anymore. It is not about working harder at your relationships. It is about looking at your relationships differently because you have the humility and you have the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of you that sees the other person as more valuable. Not that you're diminishing yourself, not that you're looking at yourself and saying, poor, pitiful me, you're so much more important than me, but you're looking at them and you simply understand that God has you, He loves you, and you are valuable 
just because of that. And you look at somebody else and say, I am here to love you. I am sustained by Christ. I am sustained by the Holy Spirit and I exist to bless others. You do not need to try harder not to worry, not to sin, not to make your relationships perfect. You do not need to try harder. What you need is the presence of God in your life. You need to surrender your heart to Him. You need to let Him have control. Let Him take over your heart. You need to surrender your life to Him and say, I want the Holy Spirit to determine the direction of my life. I want the Holy Spirit to be the one that gives me power and strength. I want the Holy Spirit to be the one that influences my thoughts and my actions and my decisions. I want Him to have control. I want Him to give me joy and peace. I want Him. I want Him. And not just for what he can do, but I just want more of God. And I want him to fall on me. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.